So today, uh, we're going to continue our series, uh, The Battle for the Mind, Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, and I will just warn you right now, uh, I was working on cutting the message yesterday, and what is about to transpire, you can blame my children for, all right? And I'm going to, uh, because I, I was downstairs in my office working on it yesterday, just trying to figure out how I can just condense this into a shorter message. And they're like, Dad, they came to hear the Word of God, so just give them the Word of God. I'm like, okay, no more cutting. All right, so uh, we are just going to give you the fullness of what it is that God has laid upon my heart. Uh, this is genuinely what we are going to share today is truly what uh, is, I can't summarize my life in 45 minutes, but I'm going to do my best to try, um, because everything that I'm going to talk about today is exactly what I believe has the power to transform and change lives through the victory Christ has given us. So I'm going to do my best to give it to you uh, in as exciting of a manner as possible. So you're going to be on the edge of your seats. That's right. I got my crowd up here egging me on. Sorry about y'all in the back. All right. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get started with a word of prayer because that's how that keeps me calm. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and ask him for his help this morning. Dear God, we just uh, thank you for another day that you have given to us. Thank you so much for this church, your church, your local church here at Journey. And so, God, I just pray that you would just be with this message that you've laid upon my heart. Uh, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to hear and receive what you would have for us to hear and receive here this morning. And whatever is true, God, I pray that you just seal it up in our hearts and our minds. And whatever is false, let it just fall by the wayside, God, and just... Uh, Today, let us glorify your name so that our lives can be transformed into your image more and more each and every single day that we draw breath. And so, God, we just thank you for another day to draw breath and glorify your name. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are in the middle of a series called Winning the Battle of Your Mind. Matt kicked it off last week, and if you were not here, I strongly encourage you guys exhort you to go back and listen to it for two reasons. Number one, it was amazing and fantastic. That was the number one reason. And it will change, it has the power to change your life as well because it, it really set the foundation. And that's the number two reason because what Matt shared last week sets the foundation for what we're going to be talking about this week. And so if there's anything that I say today, that you'll be like, I don't know if I like, just go back and listen to last week's because I'm really building off of last week's message, right? Does not mean that you can't get anything out of today. Trust me, all right? You'll be able to get all that you need to out of today's message as well. But if you combine it with last week's, it'll make that much more sense. So I really encourage you guys to go back and uh, listen to it because there's no way I can do justice to it uh, this week. So Matt talked about this amazing table that God has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. He used Psalm chapter 23 to be able to define what this table looks like. But those of you that were here um, should notice that there's something different about today's table. What is it? It's empty. That daggum thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy has been eating your cookies all week long. <laughs> all right? And so... Some of you came in here today and your table's feeling a little empty. It's like when Matt went out, you went out last week, you're like, I'm going to attack the world. And then the cookies started getting nibbled on, right? And then the enemy, uh, and Matt even told you to take all the cookies, all right? And, then, and, and so the enemy has been bellying up to our table all week long, stealing the very truths of the word of God, causing us to feel like we don't have the goodness of God in our lives. And it's really only for those super spiritual people that really get it. They're the only ones that can really dine at the table that God's given to us. And I'm just here to tell you that God has given us this good table to eat at since the beginning of creation. And it does not matter if your name is Mother Teresa or Hitler. The table is available to all. It depends on who chooses to eat the goodness of the fruit of God. That's what it depends on. It depends upon your response. It is not fenced for anybody. God gives it to everybody equally. We get to choose whether or not we believe him at his word. So today I want to share with you why does our table get empty at times and how do we keep it from, how do we keep the enemy at bay? How do we keep the enemy from destroying our minds? And I want to read a passage of scripture just to kick it off. Matt uh, shared this one last week. Several of the ones, you'll hear several of them again this week because they all kind of, again, they build upon each other. The thief comes only to steal, kill, 
and destroy. That is what our enemy does. He is here to make you feel like God is a liar and everything that God says is a lie and he will just twist the truths just a little bit to make you feel like God is not delivering on his promises because Jesus says, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then Satan bellies up to the bar and he's like, really? Do you really feel that full? Like, I don't know about this Jesus guy. Like, does he really do what he's saying? All right, so that's what we're going to talk about. How do we keep the lies of the enemy from deceiving us and tricking us into believing what he's trying to tell us? All right, because last week, the goodness of God that Matt shared about is still there. So how do we keep it present within our lives? And if you were here last week, the one other area that I really want to make sure that, we, that you understand is through this series, we are not telling you that we have a magic pill, all right? We are not telling you that doctors and psychologists and medicine are unnecessary. We are not telling you that you, if you struggle with the mental disorder or if you struggle with a sickness or disease that somehow you are inept and you are faithless and God is, is punishing you. If you hear any of that, you are not listening to what we're saying, all right? What today is about, is I want to give you the tools that you need to be able to win this battle of the mind, what it is that the enemy is coming in and seeking to steal, kill, and destroy you from within, all right? And it starts right here in the mind. You see, because at this table of goodness, at this table of goodness, Satan will come in right here uninvited all day long. He's been doing it since the creation of the world, all right? Listen to this. Right, I just want to give you this phrase so that you'll remember it as we go out of here. Satan has been destroying humans' relationship with God since the beginning. All right? That was his goal. That was his modus operandi. operandi however you say that word, operandi. There we go. All right? That's what he wants to do. If he can destroy your relationship with God, that's exactly a win in his corner. All right? And he's been doing that since the Garden of Eden. And he's been doing it really, really well. And he just comes right on in, like Matt shared last week, and he just starts eating the, at the table of goodness of God, and he starts just telling us little lies along the way. So how do we keep that from happening? Well, it starts by this. We need to understand our enemy. All right, We need to understand who the enemy really is. And I have a lot of Christian friends who don't even believe that Satan exists. Well, you already lost the battle right out of the gate if you don't even believe he exists. Because here's the truth about Satan. He is the destroyer. He is not the creator of anything. He is the destroyer and the perverter of all that is good. He is the destroyer and the perverter of all that is good. So I don't care what you have in life that is good. Everything that is good comes from God. Satan will try and hijack everything that is good, and he will pervert it or he will destroy it. He will try to get you to look at it from a different angle, or he'll try to destroy and take away anything that is good out of it. All right? And you could go from everything from food to sex to alcohol in that statement. All right? Just start with those three. He will take everything that is good, and he will pervert it, and he will use it and destroy it. All right? I could go on and on about that statement alone, but you have to know your enemy. If you want to win a war, you got to know who you're fighting. And he is the destroyer. He is not the creator, but he's going to try and trick you into thinking that what he has to give you is better and like he's the creator of something, and he's not. So we have to understand that from the beginning. Matt said it like this out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, and I'm going to repeat it today because it's what we build upon. It says this, cast all your anxiety. If you think about how our society is right now, especially in light of COVID, there's a lot of anxiety. We're going into the holiday season, and I'm telling you what, Satan is having a field day in our families right now because of COVID. All right, cast your anxiety on him. Cast all of it on him because he cares for you. That's what Satan doesn't want you to think. Well, if he really cared for you, your family wouldn't be going through the drama it is right now. God doesn't care for you. Okay? He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You ever seen a lion attack another strong, healthy lion? No. Why? Because that's not how lions work. They go after the weak if you think the lion's going to belly up to your table and fight you face on because he knows your strength, I won't call you a fool, but you're ignorant. All right? He's not going to do that. He's going to find your Achilles heel. He's going to weasel his little way in there. He's going to take you out because that's your enemy. He's a roaring lion. 
You think he's a little kitty that you're feeding under the table, and all of a sudden he's a voracious lion eating your cookies. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I agree. I made it up. I thought it was funny too. Thank you, Lynn. That's good stuff right there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Looking for someone to devour. All right, so we've got to be aware of this. Keep going. How do we resist him? Resist him then, standing firm in the faith. What is your faith in? You see, the devil wants you to think your faith is in your emotions, that your faith is in some societal new norm. Well, the Bible is archaic, and that was written over 2,000 years ago, and times have changed. Whatever. He's already twisted your brain up. Stand firm in the faith. Some of you don't even know what the Bible says because you've never read it, so you don't even know what you're standing firm in. You're standing firm in something I'm saying. What if I'm wrong? You don't even know if I'm wrong because you haven't read it. You're trusting me. Thank you, because uh, I'm right. But what if I'm wrong? Still Keep going. Right? It also says, oh yeah, I was going to use Genesis, but uh, for time I cut it out. So we have to understand that this has been going on since the beginning of time. Satan has been trying to trip us up since the beginning of time, trying to tell us all these lies. But we still have the table in front of us. But you want to know who your number one arch enemy is in this process? It's you. He's going to use you to battle you. And it's right here in the mind. So you have an enemy that can be defeated by resistance, right? That's why Jesus said, resist him, right? We have other passages where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, all right? You can defeat the enemy by resistance. You can take authority in your mind, all right? And we have some scripture passages designed to give you this because I'm, I'm going to be your coach today. I'm going to give you the tools to help you win, all right? Because this is a game. And if you're, if you're in the office, you'll, the staff can attest to this. I always talk about everything's a game. It's always a game. Some people play it better than me, and they win. But I'm always going to give it everything I got. You can ask my children. I never let them win games when they were little. That is why they love to beat me. <laughs> right? It's the same way in life. The devil is playing a game. He's just trying to beat us because he knows he's already lost, but he wants to take as many people with him as possible. So we just have to resist him, but we've got to start playing this game better. All right, so go to the next passage of Scripture. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, For though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons, listen to this. All right, this is not just Mother Teresa's and Billy Graham's, okay? Our weapons, your weapons, whoever you are sitting in your seat, your weapon has divine power to demolish strongholds. You have divine power. Say, I have divine power. I have divine. Yes, you do. Now we just have to start living like we believe it. Keep going. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Do we? We have the power to... But do we really stand up and resist it enough to do that? And I'm not talking about do we argue with people. I'm talking about do you just win it in your mind? We oftentimes enjoy arguing with others way more than actually defending the truth in ourselves, right? We have, we have divine authority. We have the tools at our disposal to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to give you a tool to help you understand what that really looks like. But your enemy is seeking to take you out. Let me give you an example. All right? I've, I've coached a lot of different sports over the years. And uh, one of my favorites was coaching girls volleyball. I coached at the varsity level. And uh, I focused on two primary things, okay? Because at the high school level, that's really the most important things. Serving and bumping, your first bump, right? Because it's bump, set, spike, right? Well, you want to know what I did? I taught my girls that were capable of place serving, okay? Why? Because all I had to do is watch film or about five minutes of any volleyball game, and I could tell you which girl on the other side could not bump. And I would just tell my girls, hit it to her. Serve to her all day long. Why? Because I will pick them apart. Why? Because she can't bump. She can't get it to the next person. She's going to bump it out of bounds all day long or over there, and they're going to get a bad set, and they're going to just try and get it over, and then we're going to bump, set, spike ourselves and destroy them all day long. And guess what we're going to do when we bump, set, spike? We're going to spike it right back down her throat. Does that mean I'm a mean man? No, it means I'm a daggum good coach, and I'm going to do it to you all day long until you stop me. 
Now, if I, as a fallen man, know how to pick apart an innocent, sweet little girl on the other side of the volleyball court, <laughs> do you not think that the enemy knows how to go to your table and destroy the ever-loving snot out of your family? Yeah, it's games. It's just a game. We got to play it better. We got to play it better than the enemy. He's been doing this a long time. The beginning of mankind, he's got a lot of game film. He's been watching what takes you out. He doesn't even hardly have to try. It's, we just, it's like a layup for him. We aren't even defending our end anymore. He says, He's like, watch this. I'm going to throw a little COVID in Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to get them mad. Oh, you want to know what's going to make it better? Rittenhouse trial. Yeah. Justice. Oh, watch how I can use that word to destroy families. Yeah. You want to know why? He just spiked the ball. He place served it right into your lap. What'd you do with it? I don't know. We're all different. Our tables look different. But I can tell you this, he's having a heyday in the church right now. So why do I, why do I tell you this? Because your greatest enemy is the devil, and he's seeking to take you out. Look at what Jesus says. Go to the next verse here. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I've told, he's like, I've told you about this game so that while you're playing it, you can have peace. Even if you're losing at times, even if you get that, if, if he spikes that ball right down your throat, I've given you this so that you can understand you can win, so that you can have peace in the midst of a difficult game. Because in this world, you're going to have trouble. You see, we pray so hard, and I, I have so many friends who are like, well, if you just pray to Jesus harder, if you just believe more, he's going to take the trouble away. No, 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 that's prosperity gospel thinking, and I'm sorry if you want that kind of church, you found the wrong one, I can tell you which ones they are. This is not a prosperity church gospel church, all right? We believe you're going to have problems in this world, but we believe you have a Savior who has overcome the world. So take heart, because he said he did. But beware, you're going to have trouble, so there's got to be an understanding, how do we overcome the trouble that Christ promises we're going to have? Instead of going to him in prayer and asking him, God, just please take away my trouble, it should be, God, help me to find your peace in the midst of my storm. When we change our prayer like that, I'm going to tell you right now, God is going to rock your world. And you might just be imagined, you might be amazed at how he heals the trouble when we change our prayers. It's, a, it's fascinating to me. But the devil has, has convinced us that we need to start praying and pray harder that God will just take our troubles away. And Jesus didn't promise that. He didn't promise that at all. Your table of goodness is a table set up in the presence of your enemies, not in the absence of them. He promised, he promised that your, your enemy is going to be right at your table. But he promised that you're going to win. He promised to give you the tools to overcome it. You see, since the beginning of time, in the early, in the early part of creation, we were, we were fenced from the table. If you look at the Garden of Eden, there's a, a flaming sword that kicked, a man, kicked man out of the garden. Right? God got tired of that continuing to keep us out of the presence, right? So he gave us Christ so that he brought the table back. And through the work of Christ, we have access back to the goodness of what God has given to us, all right? So when we think about that, what does that really mean? We've been all the way through the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament at all, you will see that man didn't have equal access to the goodness of God. Jesus gave us equal access to this table. So there's no, there's no more favoritism. There's no more separation of, of color or creed or, or nationality. Like we're all equal. There's no denominations in heaven. We're all sitting at the table of the goodness of God. And this is what Jesus says. Go ahead and go to the next one. Oh, you, did you? Oh yeah, this is it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay. He's saying, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of your table, to the goodness of God. I am giving you the keys. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. In... What's this binding thing? I want you to remember those words as we start thinking about what we think. All right? What we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right? Remember that passage in Corinthians where it says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Jesus just gave you the keys. 
He gave you the keys of divine authority to take your thoughts captive in the midst of the storm, right? You are no longer a loser. You are a winner. You have the ability to take all things captive through the authority of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what, that's some authority. That's some divine power, all right? He goes on to, I mean, when we think about that, we can take all this captive, but he goes on and says this. Go ahead and do the next one. How do we do this? How do we make sure that this is happening? Seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom first. We've got, he says, I've given you the keys of kingdom, so we've got to seek his kingdom first in all of this. And then all these other things will be added to you. So don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid, church, Jesus says. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your father is pleased to do this for you. Right? The promised land that, that the, the Israelites were trying to go to in the Old Testament is this table of peace in the presence of our enemies. This is the promised land. Christ has delivered us to the promised land. He has given us the keys to his kingdom here on earth. There will be a day where he takes away sickness and disease and sadness and sorrow and division and all that. There will be a day, but that's not what he did yet. So we got to stop praying that he'll just do that magically in all of our lives, right? Now, he might and he can, but that's not what he promised. He promised to take it away on the inside. It's a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom on the inside. He promised to change us from the inside out. Go ahead and go to chapter 4 of Hebrews. Hebrews tells us like this. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. Right? Again, going back to the beginning of time. Shoot, half, half Christians don't even believe that God created the world. But we're, and Satan got it all messed up in our thinking right there from the beginning. Oh, did Jesus really, did God really create everything? I mean, whatever. All right. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, I'll tell you this right now. If God didn't do what he said, then why in the world are you even here? Anyways, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, he promised it. He said, you can experience my rest. Let us be careful that none of you have been found to have fallen short of it. This is why we're doing the series. We want to give you the tools to win. All right. Now, I get it. You might be resisting. Well, I don't know about that. I, why do you say that? I don't know. All right, keep going. All right, keep going. Now, we who have believed, believed in what? Believed in Christ. Because this, this is New Testament now. Those of us who have believed in Christ, the work of Christ, what, the keys to the kingdom, those of us who believed, enter his rest, just as God has said it. But he declared on his oath and anger that they shall never enter in my rest. He's talking about the Old Testament. He declared it on oath. Then he, gave, he went back and he gave us access to it through Christ. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. What's he mean by that? Day seven was God created his rest. Rest from the turmoil, rest from the strife. And then God says in Hebrews, I have given you this rest so that you can enter into it. And that's what we want you to understand is you have the ability as a follower of Christ, as a believer in the resurrected Christ, the terror of the veil, the defeater of the enemy, the overcomer of death. When you believe in him, you have access to peace in the midst of a storm. And he can literally change your mind. He literally gives you divine authority through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. All right? But we have this little thing in our lives called emotions. Oh. You want to know what your emotions are? Doors you give to the enemy. Yeah. The doors you give to your enemy are called emotions, and they can't be trusted. So at your table, you have doors. You have doors that the enemy has been coming in on for thousands of years to every human's table. And he knows what those doors look like. And I'm going to tell you what some of those doors are so that you can be aware of what your enemy is going to do because he's coming. He's coming. All right, so thanks to modern psychology, fortunately, we have a little wheel. Back in the day, they didn't have this little thing. We've got what's called an emotional wheel. You can Google it. Lots of different things will come up. I chose this one because I like it, and I'm the one preaching. So, all right, but they all work the same way, all right? And so I'm just going to tell you how to read an emotional wheel when you look at them, all right? There's this ring right around the center. So you got the center ring, but this ring right here is the actual ring of emotions. And so you have joy, trust, fear, surprise, 
sadness, disgust, anger, and anticipation. So eight different emotions, base emotions, all right? Out of those eight base emotions, then you combine them in, uh, in degrees. So the further you go to the center, the more intensified that emotion becomes. And so you have that type of emotion. The further away from that emotion you get, the less intensified it gets. And then all in the middle, you can combine all these different emotions with one another to make more emotions, right? And then that's where psychologists get all wonky. It depends on how big the wheel gets and stuff like that. But if you start with these base eight, you're going you're gonna to be able to figure out any emotional wheel that you read, all right? So that's what I want us to understand. Out of these base eight uh, emotions, and if you want this link, I can send it to you after the service. Just email us, and, and we'll get it to you. Um, these are the emotions that we're studying. So based upon this wheel, you want to know what we've learned? I know you do. I'm going to tell you. All right, just go to the next slide, because I don't care if you want to know or not. I'm just going to tell you. There are about 34,000 emotions that you can experience. Daggum. 34,000 doors of opportunity for the enemy to come in and bump, set, spike right down your throat all day long, all day long. And he goes home the winner and you go to the table empty because each one of these 34,000 emotions can lead you to God or they can open a door for the enemy to come in because you want to know something really cool. Your emotions are not the enemy. Your emotions aren't bad. God is in your anger as much as he's in your joy. Hear me on that, folks. Hear me online, those of you that are watching. God is in your anger as much as he is in your joy. All right? God's the one that gave you the emotions, so the emotions aren't bad. That's why he says, be angry and sin not. He didn't say anger is a sin. He said, be angry and sin not. Jesus was angry multiple times. You see, the beautiful thing about these 34,000 emotions is that Jesus Christ won over all of them, all right? When we look at our emotions, what the devil does is when we're feeling a certain way, the devil comes in and says, is that really what God wants out of you? If you just do it my way, you're going to be happy. You know how many Christians are happy in their sin right now? If you don't know how to be happy in sin, Come see me. I can tell you some sins will make you happy in a moment. All right? You don't sin very well if it doesn't make you happy. I'm just telling you. God doesn't promise happiness. God promises victory over sin. He promises that he'll give you the way out. He promises that he'll give you authority over the sin. He'll give you, he promises that he's going to give you the way through the emotion, whatever it is, and the enemy knows that, and he's going to try and distract you from the goodness of God the whole time he's sitting at the table with you. So God is in your anger as much as in your joy. So don't trust your emotions. Trust the Word of God. Remember, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. What does God say about our emotions? What does God say about our anger? What does God say about our joy? What does God say about our fear? What does God say about our anxiety? He doesn't say they're all bad. He tells us to give them to him. They're ways in. They're just open doors. That's why God says, uh, I mean, in, in the church, the church has been notorious at, at trying to just correct people's behavior. We just want people to stop doing that. I want to change your thinking because if I, if I help you change your thought process, your behavior is going to change. That's why the Bible says God looks at the heart and man looks at the outward appearance because man wants to judge you by what you do. I can trick you by what I do easily. I can make you think I'm a good person, but I already told you I coach, so you already know I'm not, right? <laughs> I can trick you into thinking good things, but I might have ulterior motives. Oh, I'm not even going to go down the political realm on that one, all right? I can trick you. I can manipulate you. The devil's been doing it for years. That's why God says, I'm going to judge your heart. I'm judging your motivations, I'm going to judge why you do what it, you did, not what you did. Because there's a lot of things I do I don't really want to do. Kind of reminds me of Paul. But, there's, but God knows why I did it. And that's what I'm yielding over to him. Take a look at Jeremiah 17. This is why I don't want you to trust your emotions. The heart is deceitful above all things. That heart right there, that's actually your mind. It's the seat of your emotions. Your emotions, it could, it could literally say your emotions are deceitful above all things. They're beyond cure. Who can understand 34,000 of them? 
the Lord searches the heart and examines the mind. See, the Bible has been telling us that it, the game is right here, folks. It starts right here. The Lord searches the heart and examines the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Why? Because he knows your conduct and your deeds started here. That's why he's not worried about your conduct and deeds. He'll reward them based upon the why of you did them. All right? That's why it says in the Bible, you can give all of your riches away, but if you get your glory down here, he's like, that's all the glory you're going to get because your motive was impure. It was to get the glory down here. It wasn't to get the glory from God. So that's why he's judging us in that fashion. He looks in the inside of us. Look at what chapter, or Matthew chapter 13 says. For the people's heart have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might have seen with their eyes and heard with their ears and understood with their hearts and turned, and I would have healed them. All right? This is their heart, their mind. If, if we would uncallous, if we'd stop, if we'd stop with the walls, if we just believe Christ at his word and break down the walls, if we'd surrender to what Christ says, then he could actually heal us at that point. But he's got to change the way we think about him. Keep going. Because when we do this, when we actually allow Christ to do that in our lives, a changed mind is a changed life. A changed mind is a changed behavior. That's what Christ is going for. Keep going. Look at what else the scriptures continue to go on and say. Are you so dull? I love this about Jesus. I mean, this was, this was to his closest disciples, right? They had been with them for over three years by this point. This gives me so much encouragement as a pastor. It really does. Because if Jesus didn't get it over across to him, I'm like, oh, I just don't stand a chance, right? Are you so dull? Imagine you and Jesus. And he's looking at this. Modern day language. Are you still that dumb? Really? Like, dude, I've been with you for like three years now. Wow. Okay. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? You see, because the, the church was so focused on our behavior. He's like, it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared bacon clean. <laughs> yeah. He did. All foods are clean. I can eat clams. I can eat oysters. I can eat lobsters now, the cockroach of the sea. I can eat it all because Jesus turned it on its head. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what you drink. It's about the heart. Keep going. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them because for it is from within, out of a person's heart, out of a person's mind. That's where the evil thoughts come. <gasps> Remember, it's, this evilness is, is right here. What did Jesus call evil? Sexual immorality, theft, murder. Keep going. Those are the big ones that the church really likes to focus upon, right? By the way. Well, look at what Jesus also says. Adultery. Remember when, when Jesus said, if you think a dirty thought, you've already committed adultery? Boy, he leveled the same field there, right? Greed. Oh, I'm not greedy. Have you ever wanted something you didn't have? You're full of greed. All right. Malice, have you ever secretly rejoiced when that evil person got what they deserved? You're full of malice, all right? Some of you aren't very honest. All right, deceit, <laughs> lewdness, have you ever told a dirty joke? All right, you're lewd. Envy, have you ever wanted what someone else had? And you're like, man, I wish I could afford that. That's envy, you're full of envy. Have you ever gossiped about someone? Have you ever just said something knowing that you're kind of hoping that they took it that way? but you didn't really say it because you didn't really have to, but you know the power of manipulation and just dropping those little, little seeds of doubt. Oh, you're a slanderer. Arrogance? You ever been a little cocky or prideful? Have you ever just been foolish? Wow, all these come from evil thoughts that exist within us. And these are the keys to the kingdom that God says he's given us power. All this evil comes from inside. They're what defile a person. Wow, this is all internal. And I love what Paul says because Paul got this. You and I can get this. Look at what Paul says because of what Jesus has said. And Paul says, so I find this law at work. I, want, I really want to do good. I really don't want all those things to happen. But evil is right there with me. All those evil thoughts, they're right there with me. They really do. They lurk within my mind. For in my inner being, my inner thoughts... 
I delight in God's law. I really do. I read his word. I understand that. I want to do it. But doggone it, if there isn't another law at work in me, it's waging war against the law of my mind. It's making me a prisoner of this law of sin that's in me. Keep going. What a wretched man I am. This is Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? See, we're living in a world that is desperate to figure out how this body won't die. I'm going to tell you right now, your body's going to die. All right? There's no way you're getting off this planet unless Christ comes today. All right? You're going to die. So stop trying to spend billions of dollars figuring out ways to not die. Well, I, I didn't say that. I did say that, but that's not what I meant. You do whatever you got to do, but just stop thinking that somehow or another science is your savior. All right? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He delivers me. He saves this wretched man. He's the one that does this. So then I myself, in, a, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. You cannot trust your 34,000 emotions sitting at your table and expecting your emotions to lead you to the goodness of God because the enemy is right there ready to steal, kill, and devour and, and get you to just put your gaze just a little bit off of God. For a long time, the church says you just need to repent and turn from your wicked ways. You want to know what the truth is? In Growth Track, we teach this, all right? And we use the Enneagram to help you understand a, a change in your focus could be a 0.3 degree turn, all right? Now, you guys can't see what I did with my hands up here because it's that slight, but I'm going to tell you what. 10 miles down the road, I'm going to end up in a different spot because of what I just did with my hands. Because all I did is I changed my focus. I repented. Repentance means to change. Sin is an archery term. It means you missed the mark. You could ask anybody in here that shoots a gun, how many points do you get for hitting the X and how many points do you get for hitting the O, right? Or the 10 or the 9 or the 8. You missed the mark. You hit the nine, you sinned. You hit the X, you hit the spot. See, what happens in our lives, when we need to repent, we just need to change our focus. I'm going to tell you what, right now, church, Satan has our focus so far off of God. He is destroying us. He has taken our teams to town. So Paul says it like this. I want to give you, another, I want to give you some, uh, another more practical tool so that when you go out of here, you can win this game. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13. Says this, he's right into the church of Corinth. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. Remember that. Remember child, remember reason. All right? Remember child, remember reason. When I became a man, I put away the childhood behind me. All right? Keep going. And now these three things remain. Once I reached adulthood, these three things remain because they were present in childhood and they're present in adulthood, right? These three things remain no matter what. Faith, hope, and love. Now notice, faith, hope, and love, none of those are emotions. They're all choices. They're all choices. They're all choices. You got to choose faith, hope, and love. They don't just magically happen. Now, one of the things that, now, Kelly, this is for you, because I know my science lover in the house is going to enjoy this, all right? So if nobody else wants to join Kelly and I, we're going to have a little moment talking about the brain, all right? So I say that because Kelly and I have talked a lot about uh, science and, and the mind and the brain. So, uh, so what happens is you have this, this two little things called the amygdalae or amygdala. They're two little parts in the brain, all right? And I'm going to tell you what they do. Now, I'm going to read from Healthline so you don't think it's my words, all right? Now, you can read this. Uh, all neurological study books say the same thing, but I really liked how simple Healthline makes it. You can Google Healthline afterwards and read this for yourself as well. But Healthline says it like this. The amygdala is a cluster of almond-shaped cells located near the base of the brain. Everyone has two cells, two cell groups, one in each hemisphere of the brain. If you don't know the brain is divided into two hemispheres, it is. And your, your brain literally has two amygdalae on each side of the brain, okay? The amygdalae define and regulate emotions. Okay. Kelly, the amygdalae define and regulate your emotions, all right? They also preserve your memories. So all the memories that you had when you were a little girl, wrapped up right there in the amygdala. You guys did too, but you guys don't care. I know Kelly cares. All right. So they're preserved right there. And any specific emotion that you had, 
is attached to a memory, right? And a behavior. Ooh. Did you know I can hijack your amygdala right now by putting pictures up? Or if I let a smell waft through the room, I could hijack your amygdala right now. People that suffer from PTSD, it's a hijack of, it's a hijack of the amygdala, whatever, that word. All right? The amygdala is part of the brain's limbic system. The limbic system is a group of complex interconnected structures within the brain that are responsible for a person's emotional and behavioral response. Here's the fascinating part about the amygdala. Do you know when they're formed? Anybody know when the amygdala is fully formed? This is going to blow your brains. Before you're born in the mother's womb, your amygdala is fully formed. Okay, just so in case you under, don't understand the, con, the impact of that, the Bible says we are separated from God at birth because our little amygdala don't trust God from birth with our emotions. But the good news that Paul says is when I was a child, I thought like a child out of my amygdala, my emotions. I reasoned like a child out of my amygdala. But when I became a man, and when did you become a man in Jewish culture? 30. What does science tell us? The human brain fully develops? 30. Okay, I wonder if Jesus knew anything about neurology and neuroscience. Maybe he did. Okay, there we go. So the amygdala, formed in the womb before birth, were separated from God at birth. All right? Fully devoted, fully developed brain, 30 years old. All right? 26 to 30 years old. Depends on the scientists you're talking about. They argue about it. Let them argue. I don't care. Jewish culture, 30 years old, you're a man. That's the way God's like, you know what? Slow developers, we're still going to give them four years, right? The early, the early onset guys, hey, 26. They're the females, the men are the 30-year-olds, right? All right, so it's true. Women's brains develop faster. It's all right. Just accept it, men. Just get over it. All right, so go on with the frontal lobes, all right? This is continued from Healthline. The frontal lobes are part of the brain's cerebral cortex right here. You have two of them, both hemispheres. Listen to this. The area of the brain, this area of the brain regulates voluntary Amygdala, involuntary. Cerebral cortex, voluntary. Voluntary actions like reasoning. When I became an adult, I thought like an adult. I reasoned like an adult. Thinking, movement, decision-making, behavior, planning. It is far more rational than the amygdala. The frontal lobes allow you to evaluate your emotions and then use your experiences and judgment to consciously respond. You mean science even agrees that I have the ability to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ? I am glad in 2021 science is finally catching up with the Bible. All right. These reactions are not automatic like the ones generated by the amygdala, but they can override the amygdala. Oh, you can learn how to get your hijacked amygdala back under control by taking it captive to the obedience of Christ. We have brain scans that can infuse love and peace and hope into that, into that client who has the imaging on that's suffering through an anxiety attack, and you can literally watch a black cloud of fear dissipate because you're filling them with love. Just like the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. You have three things that remain. You don't need to know all 34,000 emotions. It'd be exhausting. You need to know faith, hope, and love so that you can override them. All right? You see, this is what we have. Faith, hope, and love to take your emotions captive. You want to know how to take your emotions captive? You want to know how to take your thoughts captive? Do they measure up to what Christ says in his Bible about faith? Does it measure up to the hope where it says that love always trusts? Do you always have hope for the goodness of God that somehow or another his word will prevail? Or do you listen to the devil like it's, it's hopeless out there? And ultimately, do you have the ability to love those who offend you? The, love those who hurt you? You see, faith, hope, and love will override all 34,000 emotions. You see, Christ was tempted as a man in all 34,000 emotions. You want to know something about Christ? 
He never sinned. He says he he was tempted in every way just like a man, and yet he never sinned. So that means he experienced all 34,000 emotions. You want to know what? That's why he doesn't damn us all to hell when we mess up, when we lose the battles, because he has sympathy upon us, because he knows he's the only human alive that actually ever did this perfectly. And then he gave us his keys so that we could experience his peace when we're being hijacked in our thoughts and processes, okay? That is a beautiful promise from the Word of God, that Jesus promises to give you his divine power and divine authority so that you can take captive all the same emotions that he was tempted with, but he won the battle, so he knows how to help you win the battle, and he literally gave you his Holy Spirit to reside within you so that you could win this battle, all right? This is, I mean, I don't know how to make it more promising than that, all right? So I want to give you, I want to close with, uh, a couple things for you, all right? I want to close with a phrase that will hopefully bring this all back around for you as you leave here today. True surrender of your emotions and your desires, okay? And I could say true surrender of your emotions and repentance of your desires uh, to him yields transformed thoughts, which then changes our behavior and aligns our motives to his will, and only then true victory is experienced. So if you want a simpler statement than that, you can just do the bold. True surrender yields transformed thoughts, which gives us true victory, okay? We have to surrender our emotions. When we're getting all hyped up, you need to start with the first premise that when you're emotional, just start with the idea that you're already in the wrong. If you start there, you will just surrender it right now. God, I already know my emotions are all over the place right now. And so because of that, I know the enemy is right here at my table. I surrender it to you. I'm not going to do this my way. I repent because of my evil thoughts right now because I want to kill him. I really do. Like, man, if he says that one more time, I'm going to pop him in the face. Boy, I hope he does. Man, if I push his buttons, I'm going to make him so mad he's going to come at me and I'm going to destroy him. Yeah. You don't think people do that? You ever watch bar fights? All right. It doesn't take much. Satan's been doing this a long time. Surrender your emotions. Repent of your evil ways, your evil desires. Repent. And then fight. Stand guard. Stand guard. Okay? This is the question I have for you. If you, want, if you really want your true experience and victory, go ahead and go to the last slide. We've been given access to the kingdom of peace that Christ has to give within us. We really do. Every single one of you in here, we have equal access to the table. There isn't a single one of us that's more important than another in this room or out there. But will you surrender? Will you surrender your emotions to God? Will you lay them down and say, God, I know one of these 34,000 is probably wrong. God, they're yours. Just surrender them. Will you repent? Will you seek God wholeheartedly? We talked about that verse too. I've talked about all five of these points all day long. Will you surrender? Will you repent? Will you seek? Will you stand guard? You got to fight. This isn't magic. You have to do a little bit of work. Will you stand guard against your enemy? Will you, will you pay attention to how he's bellying up to your table? And will you fight? Will you join the fight with Christ? Will you allow him to help you gain victory? Okay. Matt talked about he, how he goes to Lynn. All right, I go to Lynn, all right, one of our counselors. You want to know what God really convicted me of the last several years? All right, I've, I honestly have been doing this a long time, but there's a, a remaining Achilles heel, and I'll tell you what it is. Uh, I thought it was grief, all right, but as I've done some more work with Lynn, uh, and I won't go into all, that, all the science of it all, but what I've discovered is my Achilles heel is rejection. I could have told you it was rejection, but I didn't realize how important, how powerful that rejection actually was. And it goes all the way back to the, the bullying and everything else that I experienced. I mean, bullying, I used to get hit in the, I, I had friends that hit me in the head with a baseball bat, all right? I had friends, I had Eagle Scouts that when I was in Boy Scouts, I, I would put my fingers down on the, on the picnic table and I couldn't move while they chopped it down with an ax. And if I did, they had to do it again. I don't know why I listened to it, but when you're a little boy and they're way bigger than you, you leave your fingers on the table. But it, it causes your amygdala to do a few things, Okay. But because I had a dad who was a fighter pilot who won five dogfights in the Korean War, all right, as a, as a fighter pilot, 
who taught his little boy you never back down from the face of fear. You know how many times I moved, even the very first time? None. Why? I had already trained my amygdala to overcome fear. Now, it has had other amazingly poor repercussions. <laughs> so therein lies the problem. I might not have any fear, but not having any fear also makes you full of folly. All right? So, it also, when you're rejected that much, it builds up a lot of hurt. So I had to do a lot of work to figure out how to lower some walls. Now, the work I did, it may not let you guys in, because quite frankly, I don't trust humans. <laughs> I mean, it is a thing. Like, I can tell you why. But what I do need to do is I need to trust my wife. And the things she does can't trigger my amygdala. Because I know her motives are nothing like those Eagle Scouts. But my amygdala wants to hijack me and tell me something different. Am I going to let my amygdala work or my cerebral cortex? That's what I mean by are you going to get in the fight? Are you going to join God in the victory that he's given you? Let's pray. Dear God, I just come before you right now. Lord, you are so good to us. God, your word is so full of amazing truths and powerful statements. And God, I know there's been a lot said here today. Lord, I just pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would seal up anything that we need to work on in our own personal lives and give over to you, God. Let it just, let it just percolate. Let it just, let it just grow within us. But God, I do pray that your church goes out of here encouraged knowing that they have been given divine authority, divine power to defeat the enemy. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you, God, help them to know that they don't even have access to this power that you've given to them yet. They have to surrender to you first. Lord, if there's someone in here that doesn't know how to uh, surrender to you, God, I pray that they would seek out whoever brought them or seek out one of us as a pastor, Lord. God, I just ask right now that the power of your spirit would go with us so that in our lives, the world would see the incredible glory of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.